Well, good morning. It's great to see everyone. How are we doing? Woo. All right, I got a woo. All right, way to go, Jim. Love it from the front row. All right, good to see everyone. Great to be with you. My name's Corey, and I serve as the teaching pastor here at our, our Plain City campus. And over the last four weeks, we've been in a series called Asking for a, a Friend. And in this series, we are looking um, at how all of us have relationships, and those relationships can be difficult to navigate at times. And so we're tackling some of these relationship hurdles that we all face, and we're asking questions to, to help us believe correctly and treat one another carefully. And that's important because all of us have been shaped by our past, we've been shaped by our culture, and we've been shaped by our upbringing. And those things have impacted what we feel is right and what we think is right when it comes to how we interact with one another. However, we're looking at the scriptures and we're looking at what God has to say about our relationships. And we're doing this because we believe that God offers us answers to life's toughest questions. And this is our big idea that we've had through this, this whole series that in looking at, at this big idea, we, we've said also that God doesn't give us the easiest answers all the time, but he does give us the best answers we can ask for. And so to help us through uh, our relationships, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapters 6 and 7 because it's there the uh, Apostle Paul um, kind of responds to relational issues that were happening amongst those within the early church. And so with that in mind today, we're asking and wrapping up our series with this question here. And that is, what's the big idea about marriage and divorce? What's the big idea? Uh, what's the big deal with marriage and, and divorce? Because here's the deal. Marriage has affected all of us. It's affected all of us in this room. Whether young or old, marriage has affected all of us. And it's affected us either in a good way or a bad way. And what's commonplace in our world today is also just divorce. Divorce has impacted and touched so many lives, even here in, in this room, that it's become pretty common in our culture and our society today. And, and I realize as we walk through things today, there might be some in, in this room that you're thinking about your current marriage state. You might be thinking about remarriage. You might have grown up in a family where you've experienced divorce. You may have gone through divorce yourself personally, and you're, you're hurting because of that. Or you're, you might be in a very difficult marriage right now. I want to let you know that wherever you, you find yourself... God has some things to say for you today right where, where you're at. And I do believe, although tough at times, he's going to give us, like we just talked about, the best answers when it comes to marriage and, and divorce. So with that in mind, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. As you're turning there, I want to remind all of us that Paul, in, in these chapters, he's addressing questions that were written to him from the early church there in, in Corinth. And he's already dealt with civil disputes, and we've talked about sex inside of marriage, sex outside of marriage. Paul's addressed, hey, what's better? Is it better to be single, or is it better to be married? And today, the verses we're looking at, Paul turns his attention to marriage and divorce. And he says this beginning in verse 10. He says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. 
Here, Paul is addressing a certain married couple. He's addressing marriages where both the husband and the wife are Christian. He's addressing that kind of household right now. And he speaks to wives in verse 10, and he speaks to husbands in verse 11. And he's doing this because we need to remember that the Corinthian Christians at this time were wondering, hey, is it more spiritual if I, I were to be single? They were wondering, should we break up our marriage to be more holy in a single state? Well, Paul answers their question right here in verse 10, and he says, absolutely not. He speaks to the wives and says, the wives, you should not separate from your husband. And then he speaks to the husbands and says, husbands, you should not divorce your wife. And Paul says, hey, this command is not from me. This command is, is from Jesus. And, and so what we're going to spend some time on talking about here is, is this, that I hope we see today that the greatest answer to divorce is God's original design for marriage. That the greatest, the greatest answer to divorce is God's original design for, for marriage. Because in Paul saying, not I, but the Lord, Paul is going back and referencing Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. And so if you want to, go ahead. You could flip over with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to look at verse 3 there. And what's happening in these verses is the Pharisees have come to Jesus here in, in Matthew chapter 19, and they got a question about divorce for him. And let's pick up there in verse 3. It says, The Pharisees came to him, and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus says, so they're no longer two, but they're one flesh, and what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. I hope what we see right away is Jesus' response shows us just how important how sacred and how cherished marriage is in God's view. The Pharisees wanted to come to Jesus and say, hey, we want to talk about divorce. We have all these opinions on divorce. We have all these things we, we want to throw in front of you. But here's the deal. Jesus, as he responds to the, the Pharisees, right, he doesn't even go to divorce first. He doesn't ask their opinion. What Jesus does first is he goes straight to the scriptures, right? Jesus says, when he says, have have you not read? He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 there. He goes straight to God's design for marriage. And in seeing that the greatest answer to, to divorce is God's original design for marriage, Paul goes back to Jesus. Jesus goes back to the beginning where God established it. He goes, that's where Jesus says, haven't you heard from the beginning? Right? He goes to the very first marriage. He goes to the Garden of Eden. He goes to Adam and Eve. Back to Genesis chapter 2, the creation of man, the creation of woman, and the creation of, of marriage. And something we've mentioned before in this series, which is so important, is this. A life principle is no one knows that which is created better than the one who created it. Right? No one knows the intent of what they created better than the one who created it, than its creator. For example, we just set up a sound bar in our, our living room. And in setting up that sound bar, we opened up the manufacturer's instructions to us. Why? Because that manufacturer knew how to best set up the sound bar. They knew what its purpose was. They know how to maintain it. And they know how it's going to perform and needs to 
give us the best results it possibly can. What we didn't go do is I didn't open up the box and go, look at this sound bar. Let me go get uh, the instruction manual to my, to my truck out in the garage. That's going to show me how to set up this, this sound bar. I, I didn't go do that. Why? Because Toyota didn't manufacture the sound bar in our living room. So we go to the original creator of things to best show us how we should use what's been created. Paul and Jesus do the same here. They go back to, to God's creation of man, woman, and, and marriage because what God established in the very beginning for marriage teaches us without a shadow of a doubt what God, the creator, had in mind for a man and for a woman and for marriage. That God, the creator of marriage, knows best how to set it up. He knows what its purpose is. He knows how to best maintain a marriage and he knows how to get the best results out of marriage, which means this, and I think, I think it's important to say, it means that, that marriage is under God's authority, that marriage is God's institution since he's the creator of it, and that what God has to say about it, his instructions trump all other instructions. One of our, our staff members from Westerville this week shared something with us that I, I thought was pretty profound and I hadn't thought of before. He said, did you ever think about that across time and across cultures, there's been marriage in all of those people and people groups, right? No one's had to come in and introduce marriage to all people across the world, right? They didn't have to tell them how it works or, or convince them to give marriage a try. That humanity has just kind of always found a way to desire or have a desire for, for marriage. And he said, you know what, that, that kind of shows that marriage is deeply rooted in us because it goes all the way back to creation. And because God has designed and created marriage, right, that means we have to deal with God when we deal with marriage. That we can't just approach marriage any way you want or any way I want that we can't treat marriage any way that we want, that we can't change it to mean or be something that we want, right? I can't go home and, and pick up that sound bar and say, hey, sound bar, you know what? I think you should operate as my cell phone from here on out and pick up this big, long sound bar and hold it up to my face, right? That's gonna look ridiculous and it's just not gonna do what it's designed to do. It's the same way with, with marriage. We can't just do anything we want with it because it's been designed to work and to thrive, and to operate in a way according to its original design and purpose from God. This has huge implications for us because it means God holds the standard on marriage. That God holds the standards on marriage. And that's important because that means society and culture and the loudest voice, they don't hold the standard on marriage. Hollywood doesn't hold the standard on marriage. The government doesn't hold the standard on marriage. You don't hold the standard on marriage. I don't hold the standard on marriage. Our feelings don't even hold the standard on marriage. God does. And God has established it from the beginning. And as he established marriage from the beginning, let me just say it holds fast and true today. That, that what God designed marriage to look like and be like we have not outgrown his design for marriage. We have not evolved past his purpose for marriage. God is not out of date when it comes to marriage. God is not out of touch when it comes to marriage. His design for marriage is just as relevant today as it was when it was created. And I share all that because here's the deal. For some of us, for some of us, 
This might be what's at the core of some of your current marriage struggles. For some of us, this might be where the tension is in in your marriage and in your relationships. This might be where the hardship is coming from or the disconnect is coming from or the issues in your marriage are coming from. Maybe you have got no idea how God designed marriage to be. You've got no idea what God designed its purpose for and what it's supposed to look like. Or maybe, just maybe, you're refusing to align your marriage with how God designed it to be. Which begs the question, how did God design marriage? And how did he design it to flourish? Think about this for a moment. If we go back to the beginning like Jesus said, in the very beginning, it's God and it's Adam. It's God and it's Adam, it's paradise, it's perfection. There is no sin in the world yet. There's no disease, there's no death, there's no separation between God and man. It is paradise on earth. And what does God say? God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I'm gonna make a helper for him. And what I think is so important, out of all the relationships that God could have designed to set as the standard for us, right? God chooses not. He chooses not to give Adam a best friend. He chooses not to give Adam a child. He chooses not to give Adam a co-worker. He chooses not to give Adam man's best friend a dog. He doesn't choose to give Adam any of those things. And I think that's important to take note of because what God doesn't do speaks just as loudly and clearly as what he does do. And out of the infinite number of relationships and options that God could have created, what he does do is he designs the relationship of marriage in the beginning. He designs one man and he designs one wife for one life. That is the example he gives. That is the model he gives. That is the design that he gives. And in the covenant of marriage and God's design, it involves Two people becoming one flesh. We said this a few weeks ago, that God's design for marriage is one plus one equals one. That's the only time God's math, right, trumps kind of other math. One plus one equals one in in marriage. And it's so significant. Marriage is so significant that Jesus says, hey, what God has joined together, let no man, let no one separate. That means God expects us to honor what he has joined together, that God intends the oneness that happens in marriage never to be broken, never to be separated, and never to be divorced. And in looking at God's design for for marriage, I I hope what we kind of start to see is, wow, this is a big deal, that there's a lot of weight to marriage, there's a priority to marriage, that there's a significance and a, a sacredness and a specialness to marriage in the way that God has designed it. And we, we touched on this a few weeks ago. This is just how significant marriage is that Paul, as he's talking to husbands and wives in Ephesians, he says, hey, your marriage, your marital relationship, it is a picture and a representative of Christ and the church. It's a picture of how Jesus has loved you and loved every believer. And I, it's important to pause for a moment and say, well, just how has Jesus loved us? Jesus loves us with what's called agape love. In the Greek, there were four different words to describe love, and agape was the highest form of love. Let me describe it to you really quick here. Let me first tell you what agape is not. 
Agape is not love just because we feel good about something. Agape love is not love out of obligation. Agape love does not collapse when the relationship is strained. Agape love does not look for what it can receive. Agape love does not center on one's self-satisfaction. Agape is love that esteems and lifts up the other person. It's love that is not based on merit or worth, but it originates from God's own given nature. Agape is love that delights in giving. It loves, it's a love that keeps on loving even when the one you're trying to love is unresponsive, unkind, unworthy, and unlovable. Agape is a love that desires only good for the one that they're trying to love. This is how Jesus loves you. This is how Jesus loves me. This is how Jesus loves us. Jesus says, hey, I love you in spite of your shortcomings. I love you and I choose you. I will stay with you for better or worse. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I will stay with you and love you for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I'm devoted to you and I'm gonna give myself to you. And even when you don't hold, your up and, uh, hold up your end of the bargain, Jesus says, I'm gonna hold up mine. That's how he loves us. This picture of love and dedication and devotion that Jesus shows us, this is what he expects us to replicate in the marriage relationship. This is what he expects us to show between one another as husbands and wives. This is how God has designed marriage. A little bit different than the world tells us it's supposed to look like, right? And the key then is this. The key to marriage is to align with God's design. The key to marriage is to align with God's design. You might be thinking this morning, gosh, you sure spent a lot of time talking about marriage, right? Why did you spend so much time there? Well, it's pretty much this simple. I figured if the Pharisees asked Jesus this question on divorce and he went to marriage first and went to the scriptures on marriage first, then we just better do the same thing and follow Jesus's example. But just like God lays out and has something to say about every marriage, he also has something to say about divorce and we need to spend a little bit of time there also. And let me just say, I want to tread lightly as we talk about divorce here, but I also want to walk forward truthfully, okay? Because I understand and I know and I have many friends and I have family members, right, that have experienced divorce. You may be sitting here and that's something your parents went through. You may have gone through one personally. You may be currently going through one or maybe you're currently contemplating one. And just mentioning divorce, it, it brings up hurt, or shame, or numbness, or sadness, or anxieties, or an uneasiness. And my hope is not to make any of those things worse. But my hope is that you experience God's healing, and God's hope, and God's restoration in your life. And I think that's important to keep, my, keep in mind, especially as we begin to walk through this stuff on, on divorce. And so in doing so, we're going to head back to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 7 and continue on in there. The Pharisees say this to Jesus after he lays down what God set forth from the beginning. He says, why then did Moses command one to give the certificate of divorce and to send her away? Here the Pharisees think they've got one over on Jesus. Said, hey, we heard your explanation, but then why did Moses command this, right? 
And they're referencing Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 24 where Moses says, if a man marries a woman and then it happens that he no longer likes her because he's found something wrong with her, he may give her divorce papers, put them in her hand, and send her off. Well, Jesus has something to say about this. He says in verse 8, it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Here again, I hope we see through all that's being said that divorce is not the default, but God's design is. That divorce isn't the default, but God's original design for marriage is. And what's happening here between Jesus and the Pharisees, there's a stark contrast going on. The Pharisees wrongly thought that God commanded divorce through Moses. That's the word they used to Jesus. Hey, then why did Moses command is what they said, right? But notice what Jesus says in response to them. He doesn't use that word. He says, Mo, he says Moses allowed. Jesus says God allowed. Moses allowed. Moses didn't command the Pharisees were like trying to go back to Deuteronomy and say, well, Moses promoted and created and he's, and he's commanding divorce in our lives, right? That's, that's what the Pharisees were saying. But Jesus kind of says, listen, Moses allowed it because divorce was running so rampant. What Moses was actually trying to do was control what you would let get out of hand. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. He explains them that God allowed divorce because of the hardness of the human heart. Because sin has entered into this world. Because we are sinful people, not because God commanded it. That God's design for marriage has been marred by our sinfulness and by this world. And so what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees is this. He's saying, here's the deal. God's original design for marriage from the beginning, that's the default. That's the design. That's what I want you to seek out. That's what I want you to adhere to and keep and implement and strive for and set as the standard in your lives. However, here's the allowance from God when human sinfulness and the hardness of heart gets involved and, and makes that unattainable. That's when it's allowed. And God's original design for marriage had no room for divorce because that design was laid down before sin even entered the world. And the Pharisees, what was going on, like the world today, they were just seeking for ways to divorce whenever they, they felt like it, whenever they fell out of love, whenever they were annoyed with their spouse, whenever they became more attracted to somebody else, or whenever marriage was just too difficult or, or too hard or things just weren't working. And Jesus says, that is not God's design for marriage. And he was so serious about what he said. He said, whoever does such a thing and divorces in these ways commits adultery. Again, Divorce is not the default, but God's design is. So with all of that, we're left with questions, right? Is divorce ever okay? When is it allowable? When does God permit divorce? Well, biblically, when we look at the scriptures, we see that there's only two allowances for divorce. And there's one given by Jesus and one given by Paul. The first allowance Jesus says here in these verses is sexual immorality, Jesus is referring to a spouse who breaks the oneness of flesh by committing adultery with someone else. That's the allowance Jesus gives. However, notice, Jesus doesn't command divorce in this case. It's an, al it's an allowed exception. Because as a Christian, the first step should be striving towards repentance and, and reconciliation 
and restoration in our relationships and building back what has been broken to God's original design. That is not easy. I'm not saying that is, is easy. But what I am saying is we all have to remember what God's specialty is. And God's specialty is putting broken things back together, restoring that which is broken, putting shattered pieces and making them whole, healing the deepest of wounds and making broken things new. That is God's specialty. We have to believe that and we have to see that. That God has restored marriages that have been wrecked by adultery. And when someone seeks the Lord first and when they allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, that should be the very first step, not divorce. The second allowance for, for divorce comes from Paul. And this requires us to jump back to where we started today, to jump back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12 again. Let me read all these verses and then we'll spend just a few moments on them. Paul says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Paul here, when he says, to the rest I say, he moves on to a different category of marriage. He moves on from those that were both Christian in marriage to where only one is. Whether the husband's a Christian and the wife is not, or the wife is a Christian and the husband is not. Paul moves on to speak to this kind of household. And here Paul says, I, not the Lord. It doesn't mean we dismiss what Paul says because we have to remember that Paul is still under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he gives these instructions here. Because again, what's happening in Corinth at the time is there were these marriages that were already together. Paul shows up on his missionary journey. He shares the gospel and somebody in that home receives the gospel, chooses Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and all of a sudden somebody in the household's a Christian and somebody in the household is not a Christian. And without a doubt, this, this made for some contentious moments in that household as somebody's looking at their spouse going, you're not the person I married. What's, what's happened to you with all this Jesus stuff in, in your life? And so the Christians in the home were wondering, gosh, should I, should I separate? Would it be better for me to separate from my spouse? Would that be more spiritual? Would that be more holy? Should, should I remain to my unbelieving spouse? Has my conversion in following Jesus changed anything? And I love it. Paul clings to God's original design here. And he speaks to, the, the, to Christian husbands in verse 12 when he says, do not divorce. And he speaks to Christian wives in verse 13, and he says, do not divorce. Paul says, as long as your non-Christian spouse will live with you, he says, stay, stay. Why does Paul say this? Verse 14, he says, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. For how do you know, wife, that God won't use you to lead your husband to the Lord? And how do you know, husband, that God won't use you to lead your wife to the Lord? Here we see what we should definitely know is this, is that the gospel affects our marriage and home. The gospel affects our marriage and home. 
that why should a Christian try to keep marriage to a non-Christian together? It's because God can be glorified in that marriage still, that God can work through the believing spouse to draw the unbelieving spouse to Jesus. Now listen, Paul is not saying that those who don't believe, whether the spouse or the children, are automatically saved because someone in the household is, is saved. It simply means that the presence of the Christian in the home does good for that home and for the unbelievers there. The best way I can think about this is I go back and look at Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph's faith in God, Joseph finds himself in Potiphar's house. Joseph finds himself in jail. He finds himself in front of Pharaoh. He finds himself in front of all of Egypt. And because of his faith in God, Joseph had a profound impact amongst those who didn't believe in God at all. The same principle applies to the believer inside the home. They have a major spiritual influence on their home, on their unbelieving spouse, and on their kids who don't know the Lord yet. But be very clear, each individual must make their own choice for Jesus. Yet the believer in the home does have the potential to make spiritual influence in their home and can lead to salvation of their spouse or their kids coming to know Jesus. But Paul does say, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. And when he says this, this is the second allowance for divorce we see in the scriptures. Notice as he says this, Paul does not permit the believing spouse to initiate divorce. But if the unbelieving spouse seeks separation and reconciliation can't ha happen, divorce is possible. These are the two instances in scripture where divorce is biblically allowable through sexual immorality or adultery or through abandonment. And biblically, remarriage is, is only possible for the offended spouse after a biblical divorce. All right, tough stuff. Everybody breathe, okay? All right, tough teaching from, from the word of God, I know. But what I hope we see today is that the greatest answer to divorce is God's original design for marriage. The greatest answer for divorce is if we just clung to what God says our marriages should look like and who we should be in those marriages. And with that being said, I wanna close our time here just kinda speaking practically, bringing some practical application and maybe speaking to some of those things that are rolling around in your head right now. You're going, well, what about and what about and what about, right? I can't answer everything here but I do feel we need to address a few things right now. The first thing I wanna address is this. If you're sitting here today and you're single or you're dating or you're engaged, right? Set God's design for marriage as your default. Set it right now. Regardless of how you walked in today, set God's design for marriage as your default. Do not go look to the world. Do not go look to social media. Do not go Google it. Do not think about what you feel or, or what you think. Go look to the scriptures. Go look to what God has to say. And for some of us, I get it, I, and I'm sorry, we can't even look to our parents' marriages in that. We need to go find what God has to say. We need to look at God's design that if you want the best possible marriage one day, set God's design as your default right now. If you're married today, regardless of how long or how short you've been married, decide right now 
that divorce has no place in your marriage, right? Too many people hold the divorce card over their spouse's head. They use divorce as a weapon or a threat in their marriage, or they use it as a convenient option when things get difficult. Marriage is hard, but commit to not using that D word in your marriage. I think back early on, my wife Kelly and I had this amazing godly couple pour into our lives, and that was one of the things they said right away. They said, listen, don't ever, ever, ever even bring up or mention the word divorce in your marriage, because they knew, they knew that divorce cannot be a ready option for when things get difficult in marriage. And trust me, they will. Things will get hard but let that not even be on the table for you. If you're married today and your marriage is going great, man, praise God for that. Praise God for where your marriage is at. Then take what the Lord has given you, take what the Lord has shown you and taught you, continue in that, but also pass it along. Pass it along to another young married couple. Pass it along to somebody that is dating. Do what that wonderful couple did for Kelly and I. Go bless someone with what the Lord has taught you in your marriage. If you're married today and you're not good, right? If you're married today and your marriage is not good, I want to tell you, seek the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Go seek God's word today and go seek godly counsel. But I also want to tell you, do not give up. Have hope that your marital problems can be solved. Bring them to God who is able. Be Christ-like to one another in your relationship, but roll up your sleeves and go look for biblical solutions to your difficult marriage right now. And as hard as that is, and that might be, walk in the spirit, pray, lean into Jesus Let Jesus deal with your spouse. He's the one who changes hearts and minds, but at the same time, let Jesus deal with you. And I wanna tell you, maybe now is a great time. Maybe now is a great time if you haven't. Get involved in a life group. Get around some other Christian couples that will spur you on and encourage you and pray for you and give you that biblical counsel and walk by your side. But know that Jesus can and he wants your marriage to be healthy and thriving today. If you're a Christian today and you sit here and you're like, I'm married to a non-believer, I'm married to a non-Christian, I wanna let you know, continue to show Jesus to your spouse. Don't give up hope. Continue to pray for your spouse. And remember, Jesus rescued you and Jesus can rescue your spouse the same way he rescued you, right? If you're married today and you're the non-believer in the marriage and you're like, man, the person I married, they don't look the same now that they're following this Jesus guy. Listen, I hope you've seen a positive change in your spouse. If you have, that's because of what Jesus is doing in their lives. I hope you've seen them become more loving and more caring and more patient and more supportive. That's Jesus's work in their lives. I hope you've seen them, if you have kids, they become a better parent. That's Jesus in their lives. And I want to let you know that if if you don't know Jesus and your spouse does, know that your spouse is praying for you and they love you and they're trying to show you the love of Christ, the love that's impacted and changed their life. And they desire for you to experience Jesus also and to run into him and see that same forgiveness and that new life and that changed life for you that they also have. Tragically today, There are some situations where there is abuse going on inside of marriage or to the children. 
Now, we can't flip to a specific Bible verse to say that here's what to do when that happens, but we do have biblical principles that we can to that help us widely, wisely navigate abuse, whether that's physical, whether that's spiritual, whether that's sexual or whether that's emotional. Let me just say right now very clearly, if you are experiencing those things, get out, take the kids, and go get someplace safe. The Bible is clear that abuse of any kind is sinful, that God opposes what's happening to you, he hates it, and that he is on your side. That no spouse and no child should have to endure abuse that jeopardizes their safety or their well-being. And if you need help today, go find a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Go, come talk to me. Come talk to, to Kristen, our LifePoint Kids Director. Come talk to Matt Wenger, who, who's our, over our campus life here. Or go stop by Next Steps and talk to one of them today. But get safe first. Get to a safe place first. And then come seek help. If you're sitting here today and you've been through a divorce... And outside of what God allows that we've talked about today, you're, you're, you're unmarried. We must ask, hey, is it possible that God wants to reconcile you and your ex-spouse? Could you give God a chance in doing that? Is there any healing that needs to take place in your heart right now because of that divorce? Is there any healing in that relationship that needs to be done right now? Things may be very, very broken, but we have to remember it is possible with a God who redeems and restores and makes things new. If there's not, if those things have been exhausted, I want to let you know in your unmarried state, lean into the Lord and find contentment in the state that God has you in, as we talked about a few weeks ago. If you're divorced and you've done it outside of what God allows here in Scripture and you have remarried today, Know that, hey, the divorce that happened, that's not what God intended. That's not what he designed. But take hope in and rest in the fact that God is a one of restoration, renewal, and redemption. And take the marriage you're in now and use it and model it the way God has designed. Know that God wants to bless your marriage today and he wants to use your marriage today. Follow, commit to following his design for your marriage from this day forward. All right, I know that is not an exhaustive list or an exhaustive walk through those things, but I felt like in light of what we, we touched on today, we, we needed to address some of those, those things, okay? I just felt like we needed to, to be there for a moment. But in closing, let me, let me say this. Marriage is simple, but it's not easy. Marriage is not complex, but it is difficult. God and his design for marriage makes it the most clearly defined relationship of any relationship we have in the world. That the responsibilities and the duties and the obligations and the sacredness and the purpose of marriage are abundantly clear in scripture. Marriage is one flesh, a covenant between one man and one wife intended to be for one life. And if we build marriage after God's ideal design that he had from the beginning, I truly believe we will see less and less of divorce in our culture, in our society, and in our marriages. And so I want to ask you today, what would happen if you and I focused on God's design for marriage? What if we focus on what the creator of marriage has to say first and foremost, rather than all the voices around us or within us? I believe that if we do that, not only will our marriages be 
healthier. Our homes will be sweeter. Our kids will be better. Our families will be stronger. And our communities will be better off. But I also believe so will future homes and future marriages and future children and future families. They'd experience the same. Just think about it. What if, what if that's a wonderful taste of what God intended from the beginning for our marriages and our homes today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we have walked through some difficult subject matter in the last few weeks. And Lord, I pray that you would take my shortcomings and the moments I've unintentionally offended or haven't spoke clearly enough, that you take those moments and by the truth and the power of your word, you would weave it with your Holy Spirit in our lives to speak to us right where we're at. And Lord, today, whether, whether we knew these things or didn't know these things, Lord, weave it in our lives, weave it in our hearts God, I, I pray for those out there today whose marriages are, are on the rocks. Would, would the truth of your word, would your original design for marriage impact those folks today? Would they begin to seek you and to, to walk in your spirit and see that you want their marriage to thrive and be healthy? Lord, I pray for those who have gone through divorce and experienced the pain and the brokenness Today, remind them that you are a God who restores and renews and that you love them, that you care for them. God, I pray for the person today that's sitting and saying, you know what? I've watched my spouse or I've watched maybe my, my parents or, or whoever and they have this Jesus you talked about today and I don't. And you know what? I think I want what they have. I think I want this Jesus in my life today. I wanna let you know right where you're seated today, you can have Jesus. He wants to come into your life and all you need to do is cry out to him. You just, as best as you can, you need to tell him, Jesus, I wanna give all of me to all of you and I want all of you in my life today. Jesus, I believe in you today with as much as I know and as much as I can give, I'm surrendering my life to you. I wanna follow you from this moment forward. You can do that right where you're seated today. And Lord, as we wrap up this series, again, may we set your word as the foundation in our lives, even when it comes to the tough stuff. The series has collided with our culture and our lives and our background. Lord, take it and weave it to make us people who passionately pursue and follow you, regardless of the cost, regardless of what this world tells us, knowing that's not the easiest always, but you give us the best answers to life and to our relationships. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.